I want the general public to be able to taste something that chefs might already know about. But, you know, not everyone can afford to go out to some of these great restaurants or, or they just don't do it. That's not what they do. So I want them to be able to experience what, what a chef can be doing in a restaurant. This is The Producers. I'm Anthony Huckstep. For three generations, Greg Cassander's family have been producing organic fruit and vegetables on farms in New South Wales Central West and the Hawkesbury. Organics isn't a marketing catch cry for the Cassanders of Block 11 Organics. It's simply the only way they have ever farmed. We began in, in the Hawkesbury in Richmond. My grandfather came to Australia in 39 to a property that had been purchased by some cousins of his. So he came out specifically to be a market gardener. And um, it's, it's right on the, with the Hawkesbury River that runs through Richmond. And um, there's, there's seven metres of topsoil there and it's, it's an amazing property unless you get a flood, which has happened to us recently. But, um, yeah, it's, oh, look, it's just great dirt. It's a, it's a fantastic winter growing area. It gets a, gets a bit different in summer when we've got a lot of humidity and very hot temperatures. But that's where um, orange sort of comes into its own. So we've been living in Orange for 14 years, and prior to that, I was in Canoundra. So um, I basically left the Hawkesbury to, to go and do some agronomy sales work for um, elders. So I was working with, with farmers and selling them seed, fertiliser and chemical, and I did that for 10 years. And then we decided we moved up to Orange when the kids had to move schools and and stuff like that, and and I was so I wasn't basically in the business at Richmond for a while. I bought another property in Canoundra and started farming there. But then after we moved up into Orange, we we sort of stopped farming there and and was more Richmond Orange, and we, which is where we're at now. A lot of what we grow in winter in Richmond, we can continue to grow in summer in Orange because Orange is eleven hundred meters above sea level. And it's, we're 15 metres in, in, at Richmond. So the temperature is really good and unique for, for growing a lot of that winter stuff through summer in Orange. Um, we, we don't have the water supply in Orange that we do in Richmond, but th there's enough water here now for a couple of years after the, after the rain this year. And even, even last year we had some good rain. So we're set up for a few years in Orange and... And in, in Richmond, it's a little bit the opposite because we had a big flood this year. Um, Warragamba's full, so if we get a decent rain event, that could all happen again. So we're hoping it doesn't happen. For Greg, farming runs through his veins. It all started with his grandfather in the late 1930s, who didn't have access to chemicals or fertilisers, so he rolled up his sleeves and chose to grow seasonally. So my grandfather started it all when he came out in '39. My grandmother followed. She she arrived in Australia in 1940, I think, with um, an uncle, and then Dad was born here, and two other children followed, and it basically became a family a family business. As as everyone got older, they basically worked on the farm, and and to begin with, the way that so it all worked back through the old market in Sydney. So my grandfather would sell the produce from the stand in the old hay markets. And the way it worked was um, they had two trucks. So on a Sunday, he would go down with a load of vegetables 
and then he would actually stay in Sydney for the whole week. He had a, he had a room in a, in a hotel down there called the Hampton, Dad told me, on George Street. I don't think it's there any longer. But um, And then, yeah, every day the boys would just drive a truck down that had a load on it and then come back and, and reload it for the next day. So, the, yeah, so it was a bit different in those days. No cool rooms, no pallets, no forklifts. So everything was done by hand. So, so the shopkeepers would even come in and just buy what they needed for that day, and the next day they'd be back there to fill orders or buy whatever else they wanted for the shop, and that's how the old market worked. And that's where it's just changed so dramatically these days. My grandfather was really renowned for his cauliflowers. Um, so so you'd, you'd grow a 12-week, a 14-week, a 16-week and an 18-week cauliflower. So they were, they were a big part of winter. But they, they still grew carrots and parsnips and potatoes. Because because the transport was so different back in those days, everything had to be more or less local. You know, unless you were near a train line, you couldn't get it into Sydney quickly and no refrigeration. So so back in the day the Sydney basin grew grew just about all crops that could be grown through that season. Whereas that's what's changed these days. You can grow just about anywhere and you know, within twenty four hours you can have it into one of the major markets, Sydney, Brisbane or Melbourne. Access to life on the farm made a huge impact on Greg's connections to the land and importance of quality produce. Every Sunday we would have a family roast chicken lunch down at my... So the farm... The farm we, well, I didn't actually live at the farm, but we were only two kilometres away when I was growing up. But every Sunday our whole family, so all my cousins, my aunts and uncles, would be down there and we'd be... It'd be all, it'd pretty always, pretty much always be a, a roast chicken with um, some potatoes and parsnips and whatever else was was going on the farm at the moment. And then, you know, we'd get a bit of sweet potato bought in every now and then, which was which was a bit different. And but you know, it was it was really good. You know, it was a real family affair. And so that was one one part of it. But then another part was, you know, be, being being the European family. You know, we were doing pigs on the spit, lambs on the spit, and and all the things that have become trendy. We were doing back in the day when I was younger. So, you know, and and, and I I also remember going to delis with mum, being dragged along, and you know, we were the only kids in there, and there wasn't many people. Only the European people would be going in there, but again, now they're just so trendy as well. All the small goods and and everything associated with them. Although it was in the family, it wasn't until Greg returned from his studies that he realised the potential to take the family farm into a new era. Well, early on, Dad was part of the business, so he he grew the stuff. Well, he did everything, basically. They irrigated it, they looked after it. And, but as we were growing up, Dad wasn't actually on the farm. He, the family partnership sort of broke up a little bit, and so Dad actually got into trucks. So virtually all the way through school, we, we were really not farming to, until towards the end of my high school when Dad was sort of doing it as a bit of a hobby, believe it or not, just growing a few things. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's probably when I first got a little bit interested in it. But um, up until that time, I was the only kid at school off a farm that wasn't doing ag. So, yeah, and, and really, you know, didn't have that much interest in it, believe it or not. But I, I went off... I went off to uni in Armidale and I learned a little bit about economics and a lot about life when I was up there. 
And um, and then I, I I basically dropped out of uni and came home and 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 you know there wasn't too many options. The farm was there. Dad was still dabbling just a little bit with it, and I said, "Come on, let's do it." So we sort of got going and started growing cauliflowers and corn and and watermelons and pumpkins and and I think that's what what hooked me. But you know, I I also love food. I think that's that's hooked me as well. And and just you know being able to have a say and know where our food comes from is pretty important as well to me. So. But but it's it's a it's a bit of an addiction now. Everything's just all about food, and not necessarily just what we're growing, but what other people are doing. You know, I just love it. Growing organic produce has allowed Greg to diversify his offering, create small lines of unique products that are not suited to mass production, and that many people no longer get access to in the large supermarkets. We bought our. Our block in Canandra, which was certified organic in, in around 2000, and the block that I got was block number 11. That's how simple it is. So, so we just called it block 11. And um, the main reason I bought it was because I could grow a small amount of produce and still be able to market it, which would be very hard to do in, um, in the conventional market. Um, probably... There's, there's a couple of challenges. One, one of the biggest challenges is the fact that the market is so small. So, so there's, there's not a lot of volume unless you want to go into the supermarkets. And then that's, you know, that's not a path I want to go down. And, and one of the biggest challenges for me growing are probably just the weeds, keeping on top of the weeds. We're forever trying to work out how to, how to stay on top of those, especially in, in wet years. When you just there's sometimes you can't get back onto the ground to to get rid of a weed germination, so yeah, we were we're forever working on that. So about around um oh eight oh seven, I think we moved up into Orange. You know, but Canandra is only fifty kilometres south of where we are. But but one reason we sort of decided not to continue farming down there is because it's three hundred metres above sea level, a very similar climate to Richmond. And, and water availability was becoming a bit of an issue down there. And then I just, you know, being at Orange, it put us a bit closer to Richmond and and we sort of started going in that direction. We thought there was more advantage going down there and definitely a softer winter, which definitely helps what we do. It's not just the organic farming methods and relationship with the land and environment that drives Greg. It's the interesting and often rare produce he dabbles in. So one of the most interesting lines we're currently doing is probably some tomatoes that we grow, which are bred by a guy in, in San Francisco um, from a place called Wild Ball Farms. Um, they're, they're all different colours, darks, yellows, like black, darks, purples. But the, the thing I really like about them is, is the texture and then the flavour. They just stay firm. They... they I don't think I've had a flowery one. Um, so, you know, the biggest problem we've got with them is just being able to grow enough. We basically just can't grow enough because then I'd have to become a, a tomato grower. Just and I, <laughs> and I just don't want to do just tomatoes. It's a little bit too much risk and there's a fair bit involved in them. Um, we started growing some, some Italian lines like the Chimi Davapa, some... Um, some 
some little baby turnips. There's just lots of different pumpkins, which are really taking off as well. You know, um, look, I, I look at a lot of different different crops, um, but the, the the way I get them over the line to plant them is they've got to eat well. You know, um, you know, and then and even look, you know, we've got the apple trees here in Orange, and um, we've got a variety up here called Sundowner, which isn't really an heirloom variety. Um, it's actually half of what a pink lady is. And and the supermarkets just don't want it, but it's it's an amazing apple. It's it's rock hard. It's got beautiful flavour. It doesn't go flowery. You know, it, it's everything we grow is is more about flavour. We taste it. You know, I will, I'll be walking through the paddock and just tasting stuff. That's just what I do. You know, and sometimes people just look at me and saying, "You're wasting that." Well, you know, I am, but I'm not. And, and you know, sometimes someone will ask me about the flavour in a carrot. Or, or, or something, and I just say, you know, yeah, not this week. They're not good enough. We had too much rain, or you know. So it, it comes down to definitely how stuff eats for me, and and I don't think you're going to get that in too many other places. Like definitely not the supermarkets. They're all about how it looks. The relationships fostered with chefs and consumers who care where their food comes from drives Greg to explore new varieties and new lines. We've, we've pretty much gone the full circle at my. My grandfather started, well, he was direct marketing out of the central market, so we don't direct market out of the central market, but we, we do use an organic wholesaler in Sydney. And then, so he, he's, he's a big part of what I call our main lines, which are just normal lines. Like, he, he can't move the, 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 the different tomatoes and, and the different lines, like the bunching chimichurri and and other little baby radishes and stuff. But but where they go is they go down to Carriage Works, which is the only farmer's market we do. And then we've, all, we've also now got um, an online platform. And we also have a pretty good network of um, restaurant chefs. So when when they get back and going, hopefully we'll have a fair bit of produce going to them. And, you know, that's that's allowed me to get into some of these niche lines where um, I can, you know, really push that, that flavour, taste aspect of what we're growing. And, and guys really love that. And, and especially if it's a bit different, you know, the, the, I suppose the, the, there would be a limiting factor as to how much volume of those you could sell in a normal market through our normal wholesaler because it would just be too hard for him. And one example of that is we grow this little... Japanese pumpkin, which is a kabocha, which I think is the Japanese word for pumpkin, but we call it a kabocha. It's a kabocha type of pumpkin. It's a beautiful, dry, sweet, nutty pumpkin. So we we just cannot sell them wholesale through the wholesaler. But then we can't have a, we don't ever grow enough for for our restaurant market business. So so you know we're, we're sort of pushing that where we can. There's a fine line in, in getting the volumes right for that business because you can't just have a whole heap of it and expect you're going to move it. So you, there's no point growing lots of it and throwing half of it away. So, yeah, no, but um, marketing is has become – it's it's a big job for us. It's it, it's a good job, um, but it just takes a lot of work and a lot of time on the phone in front of a computer at night and – you know, I take a lot of calls from a lot of chefs, especially at the moment. You know, it looks like 
looks like we've got a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel with, with COVID and it looks to be maybe an opening date and so we're getting fueling a lot of phone calls about what we're going to have in two, three weeks' time, you know, and how long for. So, which is all good news because the other, you know, the, the other thing that's been really fantastic for us in one sense, from the first COVID lockdown, we, we set up an online platform and we went direct to the door of our customers from Carriage Works. So that, and as soon as this second lockdown started, that just, that just went triple to what we were doing because we continued it even when we were opened up just to keep the logistics going so we could be delivering to restaurants. But at the moment, it's just it's killing us the amount we're doing there, the, the hours involved in it, and, and just the extra work in, you know, packing an order that wants a kilo of this, a kilo of that. It's a lot easier to do 10 boxes that are 15 kilo boxes of something, you know, or 15, you know, 20 bunches. So, but you know, it's it's been a, a real godsend blessing having it there, and and yeah, we'll continue with it because there's, there's customers that probably won't come back to the market. So, and like I said, it also then just gives us the logistics to the restaurants, which is what we want to be doing. And look, it's good to be able to talk to a chef. You know, you can tell them about the different things you got, but sometimes they might want something that's that's not unusual, but they just they want it at a different stage or or they'll tell you what they're thinking. So it's, it's really good to talk to those guys, but they can also make it difficult when, they, when they're showing you something that might be in the Northern Hemisphere, and I just know there's no way in the world we can get the seed over here. Farmers markets have become the connective tissue for consumers looking to reconnect with the food they eat. But for Greg, that connection is vital to the success of everything he does. It's become really important just because a lot of the networking we do down there now, like you know, there's, there's a lot of good people I've met down there that have that have that have given me contacts, including the guy that's going to edit this a bit later. You know, he's been pretty amazing. <laughs> so, and and you know, but but look, also on top of that, the customers there are just fantastic. The regulars, you know, they come, you know, they they just refuse to go elsewhere to shop and and they just continue to come and um and through this lockdown with with the 5k rule we have just been so busy there and the crazy part is it's all these locals that didn't even know the thing existed you know and it's it's only been there for 13 years every saturday or most saturdays anyway so um but yeah no networking is one of the greatest things i've got out of it and 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 just you know all the all the customers that you know the regulars that we now know and and so the other thing I really like about it is I, I take stuff down there that's cooked like different pumpkins or we'll cut tomatoes up and say try these and you know and you get feedback the next week and and nine times out of ten people just love 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 what they're tasting and they say hey thanks for telling me about it and. You know, and, and yeah, like this year, we're just going to have to be growing so many pumpkins. You know, and that's only one crop I keep going back to, but there's other crops we sell down there. And one of the, the greatest advantages is at least you, you know how fresh it is. You know, I know when I've picked it, I can tell them all about it. Um, I will always push, you know, it's one, it's one of the biggest problems we have with the market. We can't start harvesting too early, especially when the warmer months are here, because if the freshness is – if I get down to market and it just doesn't present well, chances are we're not going to sell it as much as we talk it up. 
so you know the, just getting the story of the produce from me you know and, and, and I'm not going to call them a furphy about it because if I do that and it's not up to what their expectations are they're probably not going to come back and buy it but in saying that the regulars will come back and you know some regulars do come back and they say oh that was okay but it wasn't great but you know that's that's sort of horses for courses I suppose but but I, I think just knowing they know exactly how fresh it is and look I've worked with guys supplying the chains and you know sometimes the produce could be harvested seven days before it's put on a shelf and that definitely affects produce no no doubt about it it might look good but it won't taste as good you know the the, the classic example there is a cob of sweet corn you know it as soon as you pick that cob the sugars start converting to starch so you're not going to get the full flavor probably the crispness out of the kernels and it just becomes difficult and, 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 yeah, something we just don't want to be selling. So, yeah, just getting the story straight from the grower and, and, and telling the truth. You know, there'll be times where I say, hey, this is not good enough, especially to someone who might be supplying, you know, boxes or, or, or someone supplying a restaurant that we don't go direct to. I'll just say, look, we've got, we've got carrots, but they're, they're not for you this week. They're not up to what you want. And we can find another home for them. Large-scale conventional farming has narrowed the lines of vegetables to a few variants of every type, meaning consumers are left with just a handful of eating experiences. Greg's mission to explore unique produce is opening up the culinary options to people's lives. I want the general public to be able to taste something that chefs might already know about but, you know, not everyone can afford to go out to some of these great restaurants or, or they just don't do it. That's not what they do. So I want them to be able to experience what what a chef can be doing in a restaurant, you know. And, and even then, ideally, what we're, what we're pushing is we want the produce to be good enough so the chef turns his magic with the way he cooks it but pretty much leaves it as it is. Like, he might just throw a pumpkin in a wood-fired oven and cut it in half and put that on the plate a couple of little things to it but put it out there in, in almost its natural state and you know I just want people to be able to experience that because a lot of these different lines you'll, you'll just never find them in the supermarket because you know they're, they're very difficult not so much to grow but to get the seed of some of these things and, and that's probably one of the biggest headaches we've got at the moment is just getting enough seed of some of these really good products you know, like even today, you know, I've sent an email to Italy chasing some some genetics on some different greens and, and you know, yeah, so it'll be good. Yep, the, the guy might say he can send it, but then we've got to work out how we get it through customs. Um, and then with a couple other things, there's no seed available anywhere in the world at the moment. So we've virtually had to turn into seed savers as well if we want to continue with some of these these lines that aren't hybrids, which is definitely what I want to do as well but it's another job so but anyway if, if it's a good enough product we're definitely doing it and there's quite a few and one one example is the tomatoes when we're not bringing in seeds out of the states all the time and at the moment i think you'd be very lucky to be able to bring anything in anyway because uh customs are just all over everything so yeah but no i, I just think letting people experience you know veg that they can't just go to the local store or even to Woolies or Coles and buy. You just want people to know what else is out there. 
Farmers are always at the whim of Mother Nature, and drought and floods have taken their toll on Greg and his family. Recently, the floods threatened to turn everything that they do on its head. So we lost about nine acres of produce, seven acres of it was corn, and just about every cob was probably sold if we got to pick it. Um, So it was the first flood in 30 years. It lasted for six days. Which, which Dad can't actually remember being being um, a flood lasting that long. So, um, yeah, it, it, it covered part of the farm with a metre and a half of water. And, um, yeah, basically everything that went under that water, we never harvested. So in that regard, it was pretty tough. Look, it definitely affected us financially. I, you know, look, I haven't really got back to thinking about the exact dollar value because, you know, from the time the floods happened and then we bloody well went into COVID and we've sort of just been running ever since. Um, but no, it, it, it's affected us. I think the one saving grace has been the fact that during COVID, the online's gone crazy. So um, it's, it's made us think about what we're going to do this year and how we're going to do it. But um, losing that corn was probably one of the hardest things for me to take because we actually started marketing a new product which was a baby corn so i was walking through the paddock one day and i just realized we had all this corn there and i was a bit worried whether i'd sell it all because i knew the wholesaler wouldn't be able to so i pulled this young cob and peeled it and started eating it and thought jesus that tastes all right and it was it looked exactly like a a, a corn a baby corn you'd get out of thailand and some out of australia and gave it to a few chefs and they just said wow and away we went so, yeah, losing all of that was probably one of the hardest parts of it. But, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a challenge of flood and, and it's just in the back of your mind all the time now. Greg and his sister Michelle are a dynamic duo and Dad Frank still runs the family tractor. But Greg is optimistic about the next generation as the key to moving forward. I've got it pretty well sorted with my sister, so we work well together. She, especially at the moment, she's doing a lot of the shed work, and I'm out in the paddock. Um, look, we well. One good thing is we see a lot of one another. I still, you know, Dad's 80, but he still comes and drives the tractor and does jobs for me. So, you know, I have I have a lot of contact with my parents still. Um, haven't seen much of Mum due, due to COVID, but. Um, yeah, look, it's just good, you know, and we can, you know, you're able to sit down at dinner and talk about the business. and You're, ne- you're never not thinking of the business. That's one thing for certain. Um, when, it, when it's a family business, you just never switch off. It's, that's probably a negative, but as well as a positive. Um, sometimes there's just too much business talk. But, um, yeah, no, look, and, you know, at least we, we know the history and, and, you know, I, I don't know. At this stage, we probably don't have someone who wants to take it on, but I'm not going to say we, we won't in the future. Any one of my children could come back. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much a complete business now. We grow, we sell, you know, so we, we're doing pretty much everything. So that it's, it's definitely a, a viable business. There's no doubt about that. I don't know. I, I, I have four wonderful children who who help us all the time but aren't actually involved in the business. Um, you know, we've, we've got a few more years to go. I've got to try and save some money for a retirement fund. Um, and, look, whatever I can keep going, I'm going to keep going. I, I just love it. Probably probably the 
the next big thing might be a, a big new crop of some description that people haven't seen. Hopefully this year we'll have lots of the baby corn. Um, you know, I, I know we're bringing, we'll have some different corns, even some different hybrid sweet stuff, straight whites, bicolours, yellows. You know, it's 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 just fun finding things that are a bit different that are really good to eat and, and have got flavour and, you know, which, yeah, I don't know, just continue going and looking for new new um, new lines that we can potentially grow and keep people happy with. Quality produce and life on the farm is at the heart of Greg's world, but it's the connections with people that has changed his life. It's just good to work outside, yeah. You know, one of my daughters did say to me, she always brings up the really, really wet days where we're trudging through mud up to our knees and harvesting stuff because it has to be harvested. That's probably about as bad as it gets, but it's still, you know, it's still fun picking in the wet. But, you know, and, and look, just just everything now that we're direct marketing, seeing people, you know, buy the produce, come back and tell you how good it is and, you know, getting the genetics and growing them from a seed. Yeah, just I just love the whole job. It has its moments, but any job does. But I'm very fortunate that I'm I'm able to work outside with family members and and yeah, able to eat whatever I want if it's ready to go. From a marketing point of view, just dealing with people. You know, the the crazy part about it is there are so many people that we actually sell produce to that I've actually never met. It's all been done on telephone or email and not necessarily delivered by me, but, you know, um, and then the people you meet, you know, just through selling, um, you know, some of these restaurateurs are pretty crazy dudes as well, but they're, you know, great to chat to. <laughs> and just, you know, just having people come back and say, hey, that was good, you know, and we want more of it. So, you know, end of the pumpkin season, people come up and say, have, have you got any more? And I say not till next season. You know, when when they say, well, just let us know when they're when they're there because we want more. So, you know, I think I think I think that just giving people joy with the flavour and the taste of, of good fresh fruit and veg. It's I, I love it all, mate. Greg's dedication to organic farming and his commitment and focus on creating delicious food has not only been the secret to the family's longevity as farmers but has also changed the eating habits of food-loving consumers too. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of producers, farmers, makers and growers, the true lifeblood of the food industry. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or email us at producerspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au.